Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Garden Way Church. If you're here with us in the building or if you are uh, on the live stream out there in the internet world somewhere, we're glad that you're here joining us as we gather to worship the Lord together. We're uh, currently in a series in the book of Galatians. And so if you have your Bibles, you might want to be in Galatians chapter 5. We're going to be there in just a few moments. I want to just think about this idea of freedom. Freedom's a wonderful thing, isn't it? It's a great thing. Just a couple of weeks ago, we celebrated on the 4th of July the freedoms that we enjoy as Americans to live in the, what we call the home of the free and the land of the brave. And yet, you know, with freedom comes responsibility. Isn't that true? I don't have the freedom to go up and punch somebody in the nose just because I feel like it. My freedom often stops where someone else's freedom begins. In the first century, Paul wrote this letter to the Galatians and the churches in Galatia for for a couple of reasons. First, as we've already learned, many were still bound up in the Old Testament laws that were designed for Jews, and they were insisting that others follow them if they wanted to follow Jesus. We learned last week that some false teachers were stealing the freedom of the gospel and replacing it with man-made ideas and opinions and preferences. Today we want to look at another reason that Paul wrote, and that was to ensure that Christian people didn't abuse their newfound freedom in Christ. It seems that, that some were taking their freedom and kind of going, hog wild with it, living selfishly in their own pleasures and hurting others in the process. And so Paul gives us some principles for using our freedoms wisely. And this is our focus today. Freedom is not indulgence. I don't get to do whatever I want whenever I want it. Instead, As followers of the Lord Jesus, we are to use our freedom well, not for selfish ends, but in love and in service. I'd like to read this text in Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. These are the words of the Apostle Paul. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but... Through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, and to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And so in this text, Paul uses this term flesh. The flesh is a reference to who we are apart from Christ, who we were before we met Jesus. It refers to our propensity to sin, to pursue our own selfish interests. Paul says that part of us is dead. 
Later on in verse 24, he says literally that our flesh has been crucified with Christ. And so as we submit to Jesus and he takes control of our life, that part of us dies with him on the cross. And yet, it's still there. Even though that old self is dead, he still pops back up from time to time. Even though the flesh no longer has dominance in our life, it still raises its ugly head from time to time. Paul says to us, don't listen to it. Don't listen to it. Instead, serve one another humbly in love. That's Paul's antidote to the desires of the flesh. Serve one another in love. And so as we focus on the needs of others, we tend to be less self-centered. And that's because we just don't have time to be self-centered if we're busy serving others. And so to illustrate this point, Paul gives a picture of the exact opposite of humble, loving service. In verse 15, he uses some words that describe wild animals devouring each other. He chooses this terminology of predatory animals, and he applies it to the church. In verse 15, he says, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And so to illustrate this, I'd like to, to share a few pictures with you. I want you to meet my friend, the Tasmanian devil. There he is. Isn't he a cutie? Tasmanian devil. He's uh, the size of a small dog. They, they grow up to about 30 pounds. The Tasmanian devil is the largest carnivorous marsupial currently living in the world. Isn't he cute? Characterized by his stocky, muscular build, black fur, pungent odor, extremely loud and disturbing screeches, a keen sense of smell, and ferocity when feeding. In fact, the Tasmanian devil has the strongest bite force of any living mammal on earth, capable of ripping through flesh and bone. Doesn't seem like a particularly friendly creature anymore, does he? In fact, you probably would not want to keep one as a pet. Well, it seems that a few years ago, Australian scientists discovered the cause of a mysterious disease that had killed thousands of our friends, the Tasmanian devils, <clears throat> on the, uh, on the, on, in their home on the island of Tasmania, which is just off the coast of Australia. The scientists initially believed that the deaths were caused by a, a virus. However, their research ultimately uncovered a rare fatal cancer. And so they named it the devil facial tumor disease. Doesn't that sound great? Wouldn't you like the doctor to say, you've come down with devil facial tumor disease? They, they shortened it to DFTD, DFTD. And, and what is strange, according to these, these researchers, was that the abnormalities of, of the chromosomes in the cancer cells were the same in every tumor. Well, what does that mean? That means that the disease began in the mouth of one single sick devil. That means that that individual devil facilitated the spread of DFTD by biting its neighbors while squabbling and fighting for food. 
Devils often jaw wrestle and bite each other a lot, usually in the face or around the mouth, and bits of tumor break off, and one devil infects the other devil. Over the course of several years, these infected devils continued to inflict these deadly wounds with their mouths, and consequently this DFTD spread at an alarming rate, ultimately wiping out 40%, 40% of the devil population on the island of Tasmania. Well, I'm not here to give you a nature story. What I want you to see is the analogy, and I hope that you see it here, folks. A similar fate threatens the church if its members persist in the devilish behavior of wounding their neighbors with their mouths, fighting for our rights, our opinions, our preferences. Folks, we were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only we can't use our freedom as an opportunity to do whatever we want, an opportunity for the flesh. Instead, we are called to love and serve one another. Christ doesn't give us freedom. He didn't die so that we could have freedom to do whatever we want. But instead, so that we can, for the first time, do what God wants because of our love for Him. Now, animals are not always kind to one another. And sadly, humans aren't either. And yet, as followers of Jesus, we are called to be different. Brothers and sisters, we must use our freedom well, not for selfish ends, but to love and to serve. And so we come to understand that we have freedom from the dominion of sin. And the next thing I want us to see is that we have freedom in order to serve others, in order to serve others. You were called to freedom, brothers, but through love, serve one another. Our Christian freedom takes us to an even higher level than just simply opposing the flesh. In a positive sense, Christ frees us, his followers, to love through serving one another. And that is the amazing paradox of Christianity. Our freedom in Christ is the freedom of loving subservience. That means that we are putting others ahead of ourselves on a regular basis. We are serving one another. And when Paul writes that in verse 13, use your freedom to serve one another, it's in something called the present active imperative in the original language. What that means is, that we are engaged in an ongoing activity. We are serving regularly. It is a habit in our life. It is, in fact, a way of life to love and serve God's people. And then Paul, just in case we don't get it, simplifies it even clearer, in a more clear way by quoting the words of our Lord Jesus in verse 14, when he says, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Folks, do we realize that to love your neighbor as yourself would solve every 
problem in human relations all around the world? If we were to love people because we love Christ, then we would not steal from them or lie about them or envy them or talk behind their back or try in any other way to hurt them because those are not the outcomes of someone who is busy loving and serving. And so let's make this abundantly clear and practical for us today in 2020. Not the first century, but the 21st century. Let's talk about this virus that we're experiencing, this pandemic. You understand that at some point, it's going to go away. But I want us to understand something else. The damage, the damage done to people by the hate and the anger and the division and the destructions of friendships and the personal attacks and the questioning of others' sincerity and the mistrust that are coming from it, those things will last for a long, long time. Jesus once said in Matthew chapter 24, as he was talking about the coming of the end of time, he said this in verse 12, he said, because of the increase in wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Folks, that's us. That's us. There is wickedness all about us, and we must guard against allowing our love to grow cold. It is clear in the Bible that one of the signs present in the season of the Lord's return is a distancing of people from one another, a love growing cold towards everything and everyone. Folks, I want to say something. I'm seeing this happen every day. And to be abundantly clear, I'm not talking about out there on the streets. I'm talking about here, in the body of Christ, a love growing cold. Jesus tells us that it will be very tempting to jump on the bandwagon, and many will. It will be the norm. Depersonalized, dehumanized, loveless, cold toward others, treating others with neglect at best and outright hostility at worst. That ought not to be a part of the church of the Lord Jesus. Jesus tells us that those who endure, those that are not allowing themselves to be swept away with the, the cold distancing and the increasing lack of love, those that will endure in the end, will be saved. And so he calls us to persevere in love, to reject the standards of the day, to reject the anger and the division and the separation coming at us through the screens in our homes, minute by minute. Folks, this is no time to quit. We must pursue love, and service all the more. This is a timeless statement. Maybe it was taught to you by your grandma. Remember the golden rule? And it applies now more than ever. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. 
treat others the way that you want to be treated. That's it. Plain and simple. And folks, we seem to have forgotten that at times. We're not doing that all the time. And we will be held responsible for our actions and our behavior when we stand before God on the day of our judgment. And so I want to pray that I, as well as you, will be one of the ones whose love did not grow cold and who has endured to the end. I love you all. This is my family. And my heart is breaking. May love and service be our defining mark. Not wounds. Not wounds from biting and devouring one another. You know, a number of years ago, the Atlantic Monthly magazine had a feature article about the superstar opera singers. Jose Carreras, Placido Domingo, and Luciano Pavarotti known together as the three tenors. And in this interview, the reporter tried to, to press the issue of, of competitiveness between these three men. And he was really, really pushing hard to find out about the rumors that were swirling about, about ill will and envy and undermining and backstabbing between these three famous opera singers. And finally, finally Placido Domingo cut him off. It's like this. You have to put all of your concentration into opening your heart to the music, Domingo said. You can't be rivals when you're together making music. Isn't that a great quote? You can't be rivals when you're making music together. Folks, that might be true of opera, but it's even more true of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ May we make music together and draw hurting people in our community towards Jesus. May we together use our freedom well, not for selfish ends, but to love and serve. Our freedom in Christ is not for indulgence, but rather to love and to serve.